Big Fluff. George, remember to pack your sneakers. Alex wants to go through the Smithsonian. George? What? Yes, sneakers. Really? What? You're funny. I don't know what you're talking about. You want to have sex. Well, it's our anniversary, you know. I, I thought that was pretty good after 10 years. That you want to have sex? No, that I think you're incredibly stunning. And yes, that I want to have sex a little bit. Hey, everybody. I'm Joel Murphy. <laughs> And I want to have sex. <laughs> and this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch mind movies and we find their silver linings. Oh, man, we are coming in hot to start the month of July. Uh, so many puns intended. Uh, and this month, we are doing what are known as either drafting opportunities or mockbusters. And we're starting it off with uh, Asylum Studios, H.G. Wells, The War of the Worlds. That was mass released on video in blockbuster video stores the day before uh, Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds came out back in 2006. Yes, because both are based on the same, uh, you know, H.G. Wells book that was in the public domain at that point. So uh, unlike the other movies uh, this month that had to be a little bit more creative, they just got to call it the same thing. Although, interestingly, um, in the international releases, it's either called like invasion or something like that because uh, uh, apparently H.G. Wells War of the Worlds is not in the public domain in Europe. Which is silly. So, but it's, Yeah, it's all silly. Look, what uh, we're really here to talk about is how messed up public domain law is. And I, look, we all know it's true. Mickey Mouse should be in the public domain by this point. Batman should be Superman. Like these corporations, they get in there and they mess it up. That's that's yep. what we're going to spend the whole month talking about is that Asylum should be allowed to make Batman movies. That's really what we're advocating for. If there's one thing that would make <laughs> this world a better place, it'd be Asylum Studios presents Batman versus Jokester. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting, too, to see which uh, characters weren't in the public domain yet. So, like, they'd have Batman, but not the rogues gallery. That's like, it's really weird. Winnie the Pooh just entered uh, the public domain, but it's only like Winnie the Pooh from the first book. So you can't do like Disney Winnie the Pooh with the half shirt and the no pants. Right. Like He has to look like he has to be just an orange bear. Yeah. So. That that's some, that's a free tip though. So if you want to write Batman versus Winnie the Pooh, uh, well, you can't yet because Batman isn't in the public but domain. But you could do uh, Robin Hood goes to the Hundred Acre Wood, or or here's another freebie: uh, Winnie the Pooh in The Great Gatsby. <laughs> it's just he's he's in his mansion surrounded by honey. Uh, he's in love with from a distance with Eeyore. Who has uh, moved on and is now with Tigger. And, uh, and Piglet moves in down the road. And, <laughs> and they, they start a friendship. Gets invited start, into his world. Start and, throwing parties. Yeah. Because uh, Piglet is Ear's distant cousin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. That, and, you can and, have... and Rabbit is the asshole. New, or no. Well, Tigger's the new, new husband. So he's the one that fights everybody. And Actually, Ra Rabbit might be better, though. I think. Rabbit's probably better. Tigger is the lesbian. There you go. The lesbian golfer. 
Yeah. Okay. We did it. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, <laughs> listen to that great pitch coming first week in January, 2023. <laughs> and by that, we don't mean in our best of uh, episode that we do. We mean, literally we'll, we will have sold that by then. Yeah. That movie will be out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're teaming up with asylum. That's what we're doing this month is with our new partnership with asylum. Uh, yes, we're, we're to going make... to, we're going to have this out. Yes. Uh, instead of crashing his car, he just uh, gets stuck halfway in a in a tree in a tree and, and kills everybody. <laughs> yeah, spoilers until rabbit drowns him in a pool. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if everyone knows, this, but the Great Gatsby is dark, real dark. <laughs> you know who else doesn't know that Great Gatsby is dark? Baz Luhrmann. I knew you were going to say that. Ba- <laughs> we could do a Baz Luhrmann doesn't understand things month now that that Elvis movie <laughs> is on its way out. Yeah. yeah. The, a month called Baz Luhrmann doesn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and we could probably have Baz Luhrmann guest and him not get that we're just dunking on him. Yeah. He would come on the podcast really positive about uh, the whole thing and, and with a lot of razzle dazzle. Yeah. By the way, before we get to this movie, which obviously we're going to because I take this very seriously, I do just want to say, happy 4th of July, buddy. Hey, happy 4th of July. Yeah, what, what are you doing today? You got any big 4th of July plans? Uh, you know, I'm going to probably have a little, little barbecue. That's good. That's about it. Yeah, that's all you got to do. Some hot dogs, American uh, cause, flags. Because, you know, we're watching my mother-in-law's dog, so I'll make sure that he doesn't freak out when there's fireworks going off. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> that is the best part if you have a dog is... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is it, Convincing yeah. them the world is not coming to an end. Which I actually... Look, you didn't know we were going to do it. No, we were already... Now we're segueing back to the movie uh, to talk about... The world coming <laughs> the to world an end. The world ending in Asylum's War of the Worlds. Yeah. So, uh, we... Again, like I said, we decided to start uh, our Mockbuster Month with this... Not the first drafting opportunity, not the first mockbuster, but this kind of like really kicked Asylum's, uh, I guess, production into high gear where they really started making movies that were virtually identical to existing property and existing IP. Well, I think uh, this was their most successful, like financially. I think probably to this day still was their most successful. Not only because of the luc- lucrative uh, blockbuster deal, but... Um, yeah, no, this, this was the, the first foray. And then, you know, we'll be watching a few other Asylum movies as the month goes on to talk about, you know, some, I guess, less subtle examples of drafting opportunities. Well, what's interesting again, and and I kind of, you know, we, we quickly segued out of it, but what we were kind of setting up is, you know, this one is fascinating and a good place to start because, Everything like some of the other ones are sort of under like questionable uh, legality. You know, we're, we're going to change the wording enough. We're clearly taking something that is owned by someone and changing it just enough to get away with it kind of thing. But this is there. Everything they did is above board. Like the, the story's no. out there. Anyone could have made a movie. They beat Steven Spielberg to it, which is kind of adorable, honestly. Well, that and. From a, I guess, textual accuracy point of view, this is far closer to the source material than Spielberg's movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's yeah. It, it, like, because 
it's interesting too because they they put hg wells in it and even named their their protagonist after hg wells right is his uh the lead is george herbert who and herbert george wells is hg wells real name so they did they did pay that homage and it hits some of the similar plot beats and whereas like spielberg's war of the worlds literally just takes the rough design of the aliens and the fact that they all die of a cold at the end but other than that it's almost a completely unique movie yeah the best parts yeah uh because really what the hul story was lacking was tim robbins going nuts for no reason most stories are that's fair that's fair um so yeah so this movie is ridiculous it's um like a lot of the movies we've done recently, like really battling the the great nemesis that is a budget. Yeah. Yeah. And well, yeah. What's also I I don't know if we've properly set this up because like you I mean, we've kind of said the idea behind these and that they had to deal with Blockbuster. But, you know, Blockbuster isn't a thing anymore. So I, I just want people to be clear if they're listening to this and they're trying to, to wrap your brain around this. The the scam was the no I say scam but like the the business model was as such if one went into Blockbuster, someone's mom <laughs> was trying to make their kid happy by renting the movie that kid wanted to see. The mom who is not super pop culture savvy sees thing that sounds like thing kid wants to see and rents it, and they make money. Dot 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 profit. Yeah, so it's like kid wants to see War of the Worlds, which is in theaters. Uh, their parents are in Blockbuster, which was if you're too young, you don't understand the cultural resonance of, of being in Blockbuster. If it was Friday night and you had a family, you were in Blockbuster. You're finding movies for your family to watch. Uh, so, you know, mom's mom's picking up War of the Worlds. That's the, the movie your kids hasn't stopped talking about. They, they're going nuts for it. They want to see it. and look he came home with it how long until that kid's heart broke well (laughs) the definitely the opening would have confused them but we should probably set up the clip that we played at the beginning is the first words that you hear in this movie that is how the movie opens and that's why i i thought it was worth it to play that because it's it's truly a choice for how it starts, but I think the thing that the son will appreciate that is not conveyed by the audio version is that for inexplicable reasons, the wife character in that scene is naked while yeah, that conversation. She's topless. She's topless, like you can see her nipples. It's full nude. It's it's yeah, it's nude. She's nude. She's nude and she's having a conversation because she just got out of a shower. Her hair is wet, she has a towel, and that's what what all the conversation and then it goes on from there to just really expo dump. It's sort of a, a tactic that Game of Thrones would later adopt of just all the exposition is then thrown out while she's topless uh, to be like, oh, we're going to Washington, D.C. Oh, I got to go look at the stars because I'm an astronomer first, you know, like all of that. And then uh, and then right after that, they <laughs> this the wife character only has two modes, one of which is uh topless and then the other is shrill those are her only moves she she is either topless coquette or shrew yeah 
And that's pretty, but, but still very excited to have a reunion at the end. Yes. This, you know, cause they do reunite at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so C. Thomas Howell, who plays, uh, the aforementioned George Herbert, um, which we should also be clear. Uh, I don't know if this can be considered stunt casting, but I think it is worth mentioning that he was he, he's a child actor. He was Pony Boy Curtis in The Outsiders, but he also was in the movie E.T. as a kid. And I don't know if that factored into this casting, but it feels like it didn't not cat factor. Into I the figured ca- it was because he was Soul Man. Yeah, that too. And he was in Red Dawn. I mean, he had quite a career, if people don't know. Yeah, another invasion movie about a evil foreign menace invading the tranquil suburbia and spitting acid goo from their tentacles i'm mixing movies up here no that's the same one okay good um but yeah so uh they see this comet that comet ends up being revealed to be uh the alien spaceship which in this movie is a giant crab monster and uh, the crab monsters are killing people as crab monsters are often want to do Either with their Cyclops laser beam or their weird uh, white goo tentacles. <laughs> yep. And uh, C. Thomas Howell wants to try to get to D.C. to meet up with his wife and son who went ahead because he had to do astronomer stuff. And he meets a series of companions that all eventually die. Yeah. Can and I- then... um. He travels by editing to wind up in D.C. just in time to find his wife and son in a refugee camp. Yeah, because he's in the Blue Ridge Mountains. There's a lot of talk of the Blue Ridge Mountains in in this movie. And he's seemingly walking the whole time. Yeah, so they established that they're about a five hour drive from D.C. So my guess is like. Pittsburgh ish. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't know if they ever commit to the exact area that he is like i said i it's just eight million times people talk about the blue ridge mountains and then at at one point too it's revealed that the preacher character that he's been traveling with has been leading him in the wrong direction right that he didn't want to take him to and that that gets in this whole uh existential religious debate that this movie decides to shoehorn in there which we should get into we all of the characters and all other things but because the wife is really only in the beginning and the end, I don't want to get too far from the opening scene without pointing something out that I don't know if you noticed, but I certainly did, which is the reason that they want to go to DC in this movie is because it is their 10 year anniversary and uh, he wants to propose to her on the steps of the Washington Monument, just like he did 10 years ago. Uh, and they have a son uh, who is like, Eight or nine. Yeah, I don't know how old their son is. It's it's also uh, C. Thomas Howe's real kid in real life is playing the kid. But yeah, the kid is however old the kid is. He looks about 10. So there's maybe some questions there. But we need to be clear on one thing because it bothered me and I looked it up. C. Thomas Howe in this movie when it was filmed was 39 years old. Okay. So that, that tracks, right? He was 29 and he got married, had a kid. Okay. But and I I hope I can pronounce her uh, her name correctly, but it's uh, Tina Ree Van Wick Lutz, who plays the wife character when this was filmed, was 24 years old. 
And they have been married, according to the film, for 10 years. Yep. So just want that to be on record that that is what is established in the film. And she maybe you're thinking, okay, but like, is the character 24 years old? She certainly looks super young compared to him. Yeah, she looks significantly younger than C. Thomas Howell, who has gray hair. He has gray hair in this movie and she looks 24. Yeah, he's got big zaddy vibes. Yeah, um, which again is fine. It's fine if they just had an age difference, but it's real weird to cast her and commit to the idea that they've been married for 10 years. Right. Because there's nothing wrong with someone in their adult life dating someone 10 plus years their junior. Assuming that they met when, you know, like when you start backtracking with things like that, it, it seems weird. It's like, hey, when I was 19, you were eight. Like, that is weird and gross, but when someone's, you know, 40 and 22, it's a little less. It's a little weird. 40 and 29, whatever. Math's hard. I don't do math. Um, but yeah, you know, and it's, um, yeah, that if you assume that she is playing the age that the actual actress is, which is no reason to think that she's not. Well, it's also, it's just a question of if she's not, then why did you cast her? <laughs> like... Why not cast someone who looks 39 to play his wife? Joel, you naive, naive son of a gun. Oh, right. You know, as I said it, I heard myself (laughs) say it. And then I was like, oh, oh, right. Yeah, uh, we know why. Um, But yeah, this. uh, Well, and also just like logistically. That's not how anniversaries work. What do you mean? The proposing? Yeah. For example, uh, Joel, do you celebrate your anniversary uh, in November when it happened? Yes. Or do you celebrate your anniversary when uh, Molly lost patience waiting for the uh, (laughs) whistle rinks to come in and just ask you to marry to get married uh, sometime in like February? Right. I see what you're saying. You don't celebrate the engagement day. You celebrate. The wedding day. The wedding day. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is a fair point that they're reenacting uh the the actual engagement and not the yeah. Right. So it's just just all weird. And also, look, just because we're we are pulling at these threads and we're talking about it, bad proposal. I'm just gonna say it on the steps of the Washington Monument, terrible. Lincoln Memorial. Lincoln Memorial. It would either way, still terrible. Terrible place. Look, I grew up outside of D.C. I went on field trips to all these places. Just absolute nightmare. Uh, also, it's a summer, right? So it's like super. It's going to be gross humid. And, and humid. And they're both just sweaty and gross and surrounded by people on various trips. It's a bad proposal. It's I don't approve of it. It's wrong. It's it's not good. Yeah. I mean, I really I really love the Lincoln Memorial. I think it's a, a great national landmark, but 100 percent. Yeah, it's just, it's a bad. Yeah. Look, will you use that space, that general area to reunite with Jenny uh, in front of a crowd? That's the, in most... the middle of a Vietnam War protest. That's really the best place for it. Yeah. The... Or or you um, pass the stranger while running like four times and then he becomes your, your best left. friend and saves your life on your left. Honestly, you pass him yeah. on the left. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense, too. Or. 
uh, you reveal secrets about uh, the Nixon Watergate break-in. Well, yeah, because that's just thematically appropriate. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's not heavy-handed at all. No. But yeah, uh, but again, like, yes, yeah, Steve Rogers, that's where he uh, befriended Falcon. It's not where he proposed to Bucky. You know, he knew better. Right. Yeah. No, he didn't propose to Bucky there. Yeah, that was a, a private ceremony back in, I don't know, Secaucus or what, where are they from? <laughs> like, wherever this. <laughs> well, they're from Brooklyn. Right, right, right. Yeah. So maybe it was at the, the Brooklyn Promenade. It's maybe where they proposed to each other. Which also in the summertime, hot, sweaty, gross, and full of people. So, yeah, I yeah, it's I'm, I'm trying to remember that first Captain America movie where if like what would have been nice, uh, the Stark Expo is where they proposed, yeah. where where Steve Rogers proposed to Bucky. It's where he became, and then he wondered why he kept getting rejected for military service. Yeah, he's like, I'm here to join up with my husband, and they're like, No, this is the 40s, pal. <laughs> well, it's also that's uh, that was like the bit that Bucky did is he rejected the proposal the first few times, and then he, you know, gave a very impassioned speech of like, Why would a man continue to propose? And then blah blah blah. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Andy. No, we're here don't, to talk don't about. Don't distract yes. me. Uh, I'm, it, I'm wondering if guests keep us more focused. <laughs> probably. Because uh, we can see them staring at us. We get real-time feedback. <laughs> For our random tangents. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so, yeah, and then, um, so he first meets up with soldier number one, who is under the command of Jake Busey. Yes. And Which is the, the second Busey in, in a month that we've had in a movie on this show. It's, it's been Busey heavy lately. Yeah, so, I, I mean... And those are the only two bad movies that have a Busey in them, so. Yeah, I also, I don't know why I even remember this show, but I did recognize the actor Andy Lara from uh, Caroline in the City, because he used to be on roller skates in that show. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. That's just he has, a, I mean, he's, the, the actor is very much a that guy. Yeah. But I just remember, I just remember him on roller skates. Like, I think he was like, he delivered the mail or something. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. things, but yeah. Played kind of like a. Not a stoner character, but kind of a stoner character. Like a very like space cadet kind yeah. of character. He was he was very airheaded. Um, but yeah, and then they get they run across uh because George is looking for his brother Matt. Mm -hmm. Uh and they find they find they almost find him. They find half of him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh because there's an emotional death scene with Matt. Herbert, played by a uh, famed character actor, Peter Green. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's, he gives this, like, you know, the cliched, like, you know, do it for me. I'm going to die here. And then you find out that he's been cut in half and he's been talking the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and then they get separated. Then he meets up no with the priest. No pun intended that they get separated. Oh, no, that pun was fully intended. <laughs> um... They then he meets up with this priest uh, who starts having a crisis of faith. Well, he's good at uh, first. Uh, let's I think it's worth it to say why he has a crisis of faith, because at first yeah, he's, very, he's very convinced that these aliens are part of the rapture, that this is God's plan and it all makes sense. <laughs> then he meets one of his parishioners and she's just not doing well. But I, I like the scene because uh, he was like trying to comfort her and she just looked at him and said, shut the hell up. 
she basically pulled like the uh, old lady in Buttercup's dreams, like boo, yeah, boo, <laughs> queen of the filth. <laughs> Queen of refuse, yeah. rubbish. Yeah, I mean, she really bow to her. Yeah, she just really like lays into him, and he he doesn't like, know what doesn't to do. Doesn't hold back one iota, and kudos to that actress for yeah. going all in on it. Um, early silver lining, and yeah, and so then he starts thinking like, oh wait, maybe I am wrong, and he has this huge crisis of faith. Uh, and, and then, then it turns trapped. out he has a crazy backstory where he has like an ex-wife and a kid and stuff that is just kind of there. Yeah. Um, and then they get trapped under a house and then he full on rejects uh, Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and then immediately recants on that, welcomes him back. And then in what I think is possibly the funniest scene in the history of cinema <laughs> um, after the like. So uh, George Herbert comes to the conclusion, hey, if we give these uh, aliens a disease Maybe that'll work. And so they stab him with a rabies, an active rabies vaccine. Uh, it works. The priest starts having and starts like coming back to his faith. And then the the white goo tentacle comes, just pops his head back in and quick spits goo in his face and disappears again. And his face like melts. Yeah, which they'd establish that's what the white goo does, because that had happened to another character. Oh, I know. I'm just saying, I don't know if that's another, like, homage to, to Spielberg, who they're competing with. But, like, the dude's face melts graphically. Yes. <laughs> like, disgustingly. Yeah. Um, it, it does kind of look like the end of Raiders. Right, that's what I'm saying. I, I think that might have been. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it's definitely a similar effect. But it's just, like... I legit laughed out loud, and I do think that's one of the most unintentionally funny scenes ever. Is like the tentacles are gone. Yeah, gone. Like gone for maybe even a minute at this point, um, because the vac, the, like the shot worked, whatever, yada yada yada. And then one just pops his head and pfft, spits in his face and leaves again. Yep. Yeah. No, it's and good it, stuff. It's, it's so funny. Um, and then see Thomas Howell somehow gets out of the rubble. Uh, sees that all of the what well, doesn't I, I think the his buddy finds him right like he's no I... he is able to crawl out on his own okay yeah but then the guy finds him they they reunite at some point him yeah the... they reunite shortly after that uh then jake Busey kills his buddy so he kills jake Busey, and then uh he travels by edit to meet up with his wife and kid yeah that's the whole thing it's like the whole movie seems to take place over the first like I don't know, 10 miles of his journey, and then it hand waves past all of the rest of getting to Washington, D.C. The remaining 400 miles. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he does not get very far in the movie, but then, yeah, he gets there, and then, true to the actual original story and true to the Spielberg version, all of the aliens just die of a disease, which this movie, as you said, it's it sort of implies that he was trying to get them sick but then it's unclear in the end if what he did is the is what's killing them or if they just are dying regardless which feels like something they should have clarified but yeah but they didn't so yeah and i mean this movie is a clear drafting opportunity uh it is not the lowest budget movie we've watched this year, but probably bottom three. Yeah. It's not Velocipaster low budget, but 
Well, no, because I mean, you you still got to afford C. Thomas Howell. Like he's he's right. not working they for had, free. They had Peter Green money for this movie. <laughs> yeah, they had Acid Face money for this yeah. movie. They had giant CGI crab monster money. Yeah, I mean, and it's yep. Yeah, can I just like I want to malign H.G. Wells' War of the World. Yeah, long overdue, I say. Yeah. It's a bad ending. It, it's just, it's not satisfying. And this is built into every version. And the, the Spielberg version had the same problem. Aliens are attacking. Humans are completely outmatched. And then what happens to the aliens? They get a cold and they die. It's just not, I mean, honestly, going to give a shout out to the movie Independence Day. It did the cheesiest but still most interesting version of this idea. Uploading <laughs> oh, a, a computer virus a to virus. three seconds uh, of time. Oh, uh, ooh, uh, computer virus. <laughs> Which I love the idea that you can hack alien tech with like... With an Apple II. Yeah. With a was it 1996 like technology? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Still love Independence Day, though. No, I'm saying it, it just I mean, that's better. I'm saying sincerely because it, it's an act. It's just it's one of those things where you don't want the resolution of your movie, uh, which is actually kind of the problem with Raiders a little bit of it's not it does, never feels satisfying when your protagonists don't do anything. And then the thing just resolves itself, you know, where like your your hero is passive and the problem just goes away on its own, which also happens in the movie Jurassic Park, which you and I were talking a little bit about. Yeah. No, and Raiders is legit one of my favorite movies, but like a huge plot hole in that is the fact that Indy is just along for the ride. Yeah. And he's the, just it, in every scene. And the end is the worst example of that. Of like They're tied up. The bad guys are opening the arc and it's just like, well, the arc is going to kill them on its own. And as long as you close as, your eyes, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. But we love um, that movie, and then the scene after that, Top Men, good stuff. Just fantastic. Yeah, All Top Men. Sizzle. One of the greatest, like, fade to blacks in any movie ever. Yeah. You know what's great, too, about Raiders of the Lost Ark is unlike this movie, there's no problematic relationship where you do the math on the ages of the two main characters and go, no, like, wait, she was super young when they met, and that's upsetting. Glad right. that's not there, because that would really no, upset not me. Even a, not even somewhat. Yeah, because that would be terrible. We would all have to hate that movie if that was true. We'd all have to really rethink our enjoyment of that movie. Yeah. And good thing we don't have to do that. Yep. Okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah, moving on. Um, yeah, like. And the other, like. H.G. Wells, the War of the World story is like a colonization allegory in some ways. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's um, the, you know, like the. People from England and such, Christopher Columbus and et al. coming to America. But the and thing is, it wasn't the diseases that existed in the New World that killed all the colonizers. Right. It was the diseases the colonizers brought over that killed overwhelmingly the population of the New World. Right. It doesn't really track as an analogy. It's backwards. Right. Yeah, it's inverted. The I mean, there were some diseases that there were, you know, New World diseases that the colonizers didn't have immunities to, but nowhere near to the damage that smallpox did to the indigenous population in North and South America, to the point of wiping out, like, in some areas, 90 plus percent. Yeah, like it was like the stand level wipeout 
Yes. Um, and so like it doesn't really track. <laughs> Sorry. It just fully hit me that we're doing this on the 4th of July. So happy America, everybody. Happy America. <laughs> oh, man. Um, that's the silver lining. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's not good. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I always thought that was weird. Look, time machine. Great. Love, love that time machine. But eh, where are the worlds? I always thought the ending wasn't great. Yeah, it. I think it's explained a little better in the book than it is in any of the non-literary adaptations. But it's still like, uh, because I think the book drives it home. It's like, no human, the human race got real lucky this time. Is right. sort of the message it's sending, and like there, there wasn't anything they could have done. I wish every book ended like that. Like, just every story was like, got real lucky this time. It's like, you've really just dodged a bullet there. <laughs> Look, uh, you know, the Avengers really did it by the skin of their teeth. It's it's real good that nuclear weapon uh, blew up the Chitari and that they were all connected, I guess. You know? Right. <laughs> it's a good thing we didn't know that, that Thanos was actually vulnerable to, to smallpox. <laughs> we didn't know that Thanos was vulnerable to getting his head chopped off. Yes. If you'd only known how vulnerable he was to getting his head chopped off. Which he tells you, too. Yeah, he says flat out you should have gone for the head. Yeah, I mean, that's the you know, it's Bond villain mistake there. Right. Um, yeah, so... Th like, I think this movie battled the nemesis of a low budget reasonably well, but damn, does it get slow for, like, the middle two thirds. Yeah, it, it, I think it, it starts bizarrely, but in an interesting way. I mean, they're making some real weird choices and establishing the world. And I think it ends strong, but yeah, the middle, because that's the clearest, like we're trying to save money is a lot of him and one other person either wandering through the woods or it's night or they're talking in a spot. Yeah. Or they're sitting and talking. It's, it's, and it's very repetitive. The, the middle section. And like, they pepper in enough alien attacks or maybe like just short of enough alien attacks to like keep moving the tension along and moving the pace along. But at the same time, like. This is not a thrill a minute. No. Can I ask you a question? No. I, I want to know how you picture this. How do you think those crab monsters flew their spaceships? See, that's something I think. The movie is ambiguous about like, are these crab monsters the actual aliens or are they vehicles piloted by the aliens? Oh, I see. I thought they were the aliens, but yeah, maybe. They, but it's just, yeah, because it feels like, I mean, I, I love the idea of picturing a crab piloting a spaceship. I mean, we're from Maryland or I'm from Maryland, but you live in Maryland. But yeah, yes. like, you know, so you obviously that's an adorable. We've all we've all had a crab husk that we just played with in our spaceship toys. Yeah, obviously we would all get our Millennium Falcons and put... And I moved here when I was 30, so... <laughs> <laughs> yep. But I still did it. Um, no, I didn't move here when I was 30. I was, I was 28. Makes it all the difference. Yeah, because you were uh, going to propose on the, right. the and, steps, and, of, the and on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah, that's why you were moving here. Yeah, it's 100% why I did that. I was like, you know where the best place to propose is? 
steps to the link. I want old Honest Abe watching from his seat while I propose. So there's one person that can oversee this proposal. It's Honest Abe. Um. Yeah, I, I'm curious if because, but they did also establish that there were these giant spaceships. Mm-hmm. So and maybe the giant crab monsters are piloting the spaceships because they seem to come out of them. And but then the crabs, the crabs have tentacles too. Or is that where the tentacles? I'm I'm just trying to figure out this physiology. So they have like the laser beam eye thing, but they also have tentacles that shoot out, and they have because they don't they don't have the crab claws really. Like they're not like typical crab claws it's just like crab legs and a crab like carapace so maybe they're able to pilot the ship with their tentacles i guess but it feels like the acid would be burning the steering wheel it felt like they had control over the acid okay all right like it didn't just like ooze out like because it clearly you know straight spits at uh the priest how can we get geiger to to draw this up for us see he's not still alive right no he's not yeah, so he's probably available then. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyways, um, but yeah, this uh, this was clearly an effort to cash in on the release of War of the Worlds, but at the same time, like at one point, at least the makers of this film, uh, Carlos De Leos and uh, is it Adam Platt? Is that the director? Sounds right. Sounds uh, right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, it seems like that originally, like, this was going to be the script that Spielberg or, you know, Amblin or whoever was going to buy to make their War of the Worlds movie. But, like, that fell through. And I'm sure that's a lie. But that is something that the IMDb trivia stated. It's smart to say it. I mean, it, it you know, it sounds good. And and as you said, I think you said this on the air. You said it before we started. I can't remember which. But, like, it's closer to the actual novel than what Spielberg did. Yeah. And I think that could be why I'm thinking about uh, these crab sh- monsters having pilots is that um, in the original book and radio play and everything, uh, the giant tripods are the aliens. Yeah, which I, I did see. And you probably saw this, too, that the reason that there are crabs in this is because they wanted to give some freedom to the visual effects team to do what right. they felt worked best with the creature. So that's why they're different than. The, in the novel but in in the spielberg movie there are they are vehicles piloted by like sort of like typical gray aliens he loves, they kind of look like the independence day aliens he loves a gray alien he does love a gray alien yeah that's like spielberg's jam he's like i, I bet she's sitting in his giant mansion on his throne of cash thinking it's like i'm gonna do one more alien flick yeah yeah because he's like he probably regrets that he never got a chance to like, I don't know, this sounds crazy, but like put an alien in Indiana Jones, you know, because that like that's like the one franchise that would have been cool. You know, I remember hearing rumors that there was going to be this fourth alien movie where there might be a al- fourth indie movie that might have aliens in it, but it never happened. Well, they are making a new one, a fourth one. Finally, they announced. It, oh, good. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't think Spielberg's directing it. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Anything else specific to Malign about this, this one? No, I think we did it. I think I think we covered it. We should pivot. Right. We were like yeah, 40 we should minutes. pivot. We've done yeah. a lot of sidebars for this. Uh, about as many sidebars as this movie had 
just people having random conversations unrelated to and not advancing the plot or the characters. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so we, in, in a lot of ways, did a very uh, homage to this movie. Yep. Uh, but Silver Linings. I like C. Thomas Howell in this movie. He's good. He, that C. Thomas Howell is talented. I mean, he was a reason he was a child star. Like, he's, you know, he's I mean, got charisma. Like, I think he didn't overdo it, nor did he phone it in. Like, I think he was believable as, you know... He wasn't didn't like automatically become like the super heroic figure because he's the protagonist. Like he was you felt him flying by the seat of his pants. And I mean that in a good way. So I like see Thomas Howell. Yeah, he gave it some gravitas. I feel like. All right. and that's it. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> no, um, no, I, I you know what? Like, I mean, obviously we talked about the fact this is a super low budget movie. They didn't have a lot of money for visual effects. And I think often that is very clear that they're doing this again, not quite Velocipastor levels, but they didn't have a ton of money for VXX. But that being said, I thought there's like one thing that there's a ship that's wrecked that was like in the horizon that kind of felt like, I don't know if they did a Titanic movie or something and they just had this like VFX just had the plate like lying around. But I thought that looked pretty good. And I thought the the like ruined Washington damn dirty apes kind of finale stuff looked pretty good, too. Like when they were showing the rubble and the in the distance, the White House was damaged kind of thing. Like it. I thought all that looked pretty good, too. And I, I don't know if this counts as a silver lining or not, but I did find that last scene funny where because that's the whole thing. He, he's still looking for his wife on the steps. And he doesn't find her at first, but he's kind of wandering around by himself. And then all of a sudden, there are so many people there <laughs> that seem to come out of nowhere, including his wife and his child. But I just thought that was kind of funny that he's like by himself and he's sort of I think he's yelling at God or he's kind of having this, you know, like crisis of faith moment of like, I made it all the way here and then she's not here. And he's right. saying that alone. And then apparently everyone was just off camera waiting to. <laughs> right. It was just right over 10 feet out of frame. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one scene I liked and it's super cliched, but it's one point where they're like running from the, the giant crab monsters or whatever. And they're like, huh, we made it. We're safe. Camera pans out and they're under one of the crab monsters. They think they're like in the trees, but they're under a crab monster. Like, you had to do that scene, and I'm glad they did that scene. Yeah, that was good. Um, yep. No, I enjoyed that. I, um, <laughs> me. And like I said, it, like, I think the scene of all the movies that we've watched this year, the biggest laugh I think that I've been provided was when the Tentacle just popped back in, spat in the dude's face, and popped back out. Yeah. No, that. And again, the, the opening scene was so bizarre. <laughs> And like, it, it, but, but like memorably so, I do actually think it's a silver lining of how weird a choice it is to start the movie the way that they did. Well, you start this movie with like graphic nudity, and then this movie is PG thirteen the rest of the way. Right, and I mean, it's a funny thing where it's like the you know the wife is she has about five minutes of screen time, <laughs> like total. And you need yeah. to establish her at the beginning as like, this is, this is what it's all about. You know, this is, he's going to travel. This is his person. This is, yeah. yeah. And it's the fact that that's the move they went with is like, she's topless and then she's terrible. 
it is actually very funny to me. Like, I don't think it's intentionally so, but it's a great, memorably bad choice. And I mean that sincerely. Yeah, no, that I would agree with that. Um, I, yeah, I mean, and I, I said before we started recording that I didn't hate this movie and I stand by that assessment. I'll say too, better use of a Busey in a militarized role than uh, Black Sheep, which we watched last month. That's true. It is better military Busey. <laughs> which, uh, right after we successfully finish our Winnie the Pooh, uh, Great Gatsby, we are working on military Busey as our next yeah. project. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's going to be star three generations of Buseys. I don't care if Jake's kid isn't an actor. Uh, she's going to be in this. She will be by the time we're done filming. Like, we're going we're gonna to get her yeah. ready. We're going to find as many Buseys as we can. And they're all going to be in a unit. And it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. It's going to be called Best Military Busey. I was thinking in the Busey now. Does that, does that track? <laughs> that might, yeah. The Boogie Woogie Busey Boy. From Company B, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Company B for Busey. <laughs> <laughs> Company B, and then it's just in parentheses, Usi. <laughs> the Boogie Woogie Busey Boy from Company B. Parenthetically, Usi. We did it. We, we did it. <laughs> did it. <laughs> stay tuned for that in January of 2023. And, and stay tuned for more Mockbusters the rest of this month. Someone should do a mockbuster of us. Wouldn't that be great if that would be really good if someone did a mockbuster of us? Kind of knock off Silver Linings playback. That would be like the highest form of flattery. That would be great. I'd be in for it. Silver Linings Playback is a production of HoboTrashCan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hi, everyone. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Stephanie Smar. And this is Stephanie Knows Some Shit, where every week we are going to tap into Stephanie's brain and share with you some of the insight that she has about cooking, shopping, Top Chef, all of the things that you want to know. Yeah, we're going to tell some stories, enjoy some time together, and really dive into the things that you might be afraid to Google. We might have the answer. I actually, I'm pretty confident we do. We do.